When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't care what the calendar says. I don't care what the groundhog says. I don't care what your mama says. It's football time, all right? I don't care the fall's not here yet. Spring football has arrived. And we got a lot to talk about. Welcome into the hard count, the people's show for every single thing that you know and that you love about this beautiful game of college football. It happens here every single day. We got a lot to unpack. We got Dan Lanning. Head coach of the Oregon Ducks program set to join the show here in just a few minutes. There's been a headline circulating here for some time. Florida State made some noise at a very recent board of trustees meeting. Thought it would be kind of sleepy. Here's where we stand financially. Here's what's going on with other sports. And then bam, athletic director Michael Alford dropped a bomb and saying this cannot continue in terms of revenue sharing for how we're doing this here in the ACC. Some other conferences are making more money. The ball is in your court, ACC. So we got some thoughts on that. Could Florida State be leaving for the SEC? I don't think it's out of the question. And by looking at the dollars and cents of this thing, I can't imagine you will think otherwise as well. So we'll talk about that one. And then, like I said, spring football, it's here, man. A lot of programs around the country are already on and popping. Some are still finishing winter conditioning. But a lot of the top programs are already hitting the ground running. So with spring practice comes new faces. And some of those new faces are five-star recruits from the 2023 cycle. Finished up their schoolwork early and are going to be competing this spring. Who are the big freshmen on campus that you need to know about? Because they're about to make headlines here. I promise you. You're going to see them in spring games making big plays. You're going to see them climbing the depth chart. But who do you need to make sure you know about? We'll give you five names that are set to get after it in the spring. And then what happens during winter conditioning? I told you spring football's here. We got a couple that are still finishing up winter conditioning. What happens during that phase? We like to talk about spring football. We like to talk about the games itself. But having been in the belly of the beast, I'm going to tell you what goes on in that vicious few months that is the winter conditioning phase of college football. Then at the end of the show, you know how we get down around here. There's been a question that has been going on on this show for a little bit here on my Twitter page, at JD Pakel. If you could change just one thing about this beautiful game that you and I both love, what would it be? Got some more answers from y'all on my Twitter page that we're going to unpack in its entirety. We're fired up to have y'all here, man. We're fired up to have you a part of the Hard Count family as we continue to grow throughout the duration of this period of time that from winter conditioning to spring football well into the fall all gas no brakes as they say in Austin Texas let's jump right into it Florida State made headlines very recently when the athletic director Michael Alford said at a board of trustees meeting it's impossible for things to say the same how they are right now in the ACC pulled up some numbers that were pretty convincing Says the Big Ten's making right around 80 million. The SEC is making right around 72 million per a team. We're Florida State. We're doing much more than pulling our weight, and we're making only 42 million a year. You expect us to compete with the big boys, but we're not making money with the big boys. How does that figure? Well, kind of got the gears churning a little bit. 
for a lot of us across the industry. And the move to the SEC or the Big Ten, we're going to focus on the SEC for this conversation, I think is relatively imminent. And it makes a ton of sense. First and foremost, it's mutually beneficial. The SEC gets what they want. Florida State gets what they want. And what does Florida State want? Florida State wants to get what they're worth. They talked about it a lot during that meeting. They said the typical ACC school draws in 70% less viewership than we do here at Florida State. We're a national brand. Okay, people know about the Knowles from coast to coast. You turn on your TV and you know when we're playing ball. And the numbers indicate as much. We generate 15% of what the ACC brings in from a media standpoint. We're only getting 7% of that. We're only getting 7% of what we're bringing in. How does that work out for us? And the reason why he said it's impossible, he being Michael Alford, the reason why he said it's impossible for us to stay the same right now and keep the status quo is not because it's tough to keep the lights on at Florida State. It's not because $42 million a year isn't paying the bills. The reason why it's impossible is because Florida State expects to compete with those other national powers in the Big Ten and the SEC that are bringing in $80 million and $72 million, respectively. And here's the deal, man. In college football, power and relevance looks a lot like finances. And finances, what does that equate to? Resources. And when you have the best resources, when you have as much resources as the next man, then you have the opportunity to compete for what you want to compete to. All right, so if we want to compete with Georgia for national titles, if we're at Florida State, but we're bringing in $30 million a year less than them, y'all know over time that gap is going to eventually widen. Now, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to for Florida State. But the fact of the matter is, when you expect to do more than just win eight games a year, you got to have the resources to go along with it. And that's what Michael Alford's saying. We expect to be up here. We expect to be creme de la creme. We expect to compete with all the national powers. We got to bring in the kind of resources in order to do that. Really quickly, though, if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, love to have you along for the ride. Also, follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at J.D. Piquel. Now, like I said, it's mutually beneficial. So Florida State gets what they want, more money, Less problems, more resources, more opportunity to compete how they want to compete, how they expect to compete now in Tallahassee, Florida. And the ACC would lose Florida State, but the SEC would gain a major brand. And if you're the SEC, you're just sitting back and kind of watching this whole thing unfold. And if you were to add Florida State, what do you get? You get more eyeballs nationally. Now, what do more eyeballs equate to? More money. And like I said, more money equates to a bigger pie for everybody and a bigger pie in today's college football, the way that college athletics is heading towards, it puts you in an even more dominant position right now. It makes all the sense in the world to add Florida State to the SEC. And I could see the conversation for the Big Ten if it was just strictly about money. And at the end of the day, maybe it is. But the SEC to me is where Florida State would want to be logistically because you get to still compete in your backyard with Florida, get to compete with Georgia, get to compete with Alabama, and you slap the SEC patch on the jersey, the sticker on the back of the helmet, you know how much more juice that gives you on the recruiting trail? You know how much more 
people will, I don't want to say take you seriously, but it, it definitely adds a little bit to it, all right? It definitely is a factor that would come into play because we look at the numbers of NFL players that get drafted every year and the SEC, year in and year out, just cleans house. So for Florida State to say, yes, we have produced a lot of NFL players, but now you look at us in the same light of the Georgias and the Floridas and the Alabamas, it's good company to be in. Okay, and you can also pitch, hey, whatever kind of effort you put on tape, it's not going to be questioned. Jimmy Five Star, when you come to Florida State, you come play for us in this conference, nobody's going to question what you did on tape. They'll say, you did that against Bama, you did it against Tennessee, we like your resume. And I don't want to dunk on the ACC completely here, but just the fact of the matter is a scout's going to look at your tape against Alabama differently than they would against NC State from a broad strokes perspective, all right? Now, it makes all the sense in the world logistically. Why is that? Because Florida State right now has the high ground. They are the hot brand. They have the leverage on the ACC. The ACC needs Florida State more than Florida State needs the ACC, all right, Florida State can leave and be fine. Now, I understand there are some legalities that have to be worked out here. We just saw what happened with Texas and OU, right? We've seen how powerful these people are, and we've seen how much money can be exchanged to make some things happen. In the day and age of college football, the way this is headed, do not be surprised if this ends up getting resolved quickly. If you catch my drift, if Florida State wants more money and the ACC can't make it happen, don't be surprised if someone forks over the right amount of cash to get them out of the ACC. And what the ACC would have to do is say, hey, other schools, we want to keep Florida State. It helps us have you know, more revenue as a whole. It helps us as a conference. Are you okay with us taking some of the money out of your pocket to give it to Florida State? Who in their right mind in the ACC is going to sign off on that? You think Miami's going to say, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead and give Florida State some of our money to keep them around. No, of course not. That's not going to happen. So I don't see a world where Florida State ends up getting more money from the ACC. Now, the TV deals, right? That's what this is all about. This is what's controlling a lot of the greenbacks right now. ESPN and ABC own the rights, starting in 2024, to both the SEC and the ACC. So you're avoiding the situation where you have this big bidding war between ESPN and Fox of, no, we want to get the rights. No, we want to get the rights. If I'm ESPN, I think the argument could be made, we would rather have Florida State a part of the SEC. Let's bolster that brand. It's going to Super Conference era anyway. We're going to get there eventually. Let's make that thing happen now and get that whole thing rolling. So I think this is going to happen. When? I don't know. But don't listen to all these reports that are going to circulate saying too much money to be paid to get them out. Hey, we can't figure it out with the contracts. We can't figure it out with what was signed with the grant of rights, whatever it ends up being. There's going to be a lot of smoke screens. Just keep your eye on the ball here. And that is Florida State is making more money for the ACC than they believe they should be getting back. And when Florida State needs to get paid, there's a lot of other places they can go to get paid. There's a lot of people with power and deep pockets involved right now. Super Conference era is very much so upon us. Texas and OU started that domino effect, I guess it was now a year and a half, two years ago. It's happening. 
It's happening. I very much so believe Florida State will be that next domino to fall. The SEC makes a lot of sense. Like I said, geographically and by nature of where they recruit and who they compete with, you'd probably like to be in the SEC. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn my back if the Big Ten came knocking either, if I'm in Tallahassee. You're a national brand. You've got a lot of weight you can throw around right now. I think they're going to use it. So Florida State, I 1,000% anticipate will be moving conferences here. When? Who knows? But it's going to happen. It is going to happen. I believe that with all of my being. Appreciate everyone tuned in right now. Let's get a few more likes here. If we get, let's say, 25 more likes by the end of the show, we will let you all know who our next guest is on the hard count. And we have had a phenomenal list so far. There is a lot more in the pipeline that I can't tell you about yet, but I can if you go ahead and like the video. So go ahead and throw us a like. We'll keep this thing rolling. But we got to sit down with the head coach of the Oregon Ducks football program, Dan Lanning, dropping some knowledge on us, kind enough to take some time out of his day as they get ready to start spring football. Ask him about their approach in the trenches on the recruiting trail. Of their 30 individuals they signed on signing day, 13 of them were on the offensive or defensive line. Really fascinating to hear his answer there. Also asked him, how did he find out that Bo Nix said, you know what, one more year, I want to come back to Eugene. I want to build on what I did last year. Dan Lanning, through and through, a program guy. Excited to show you this conversation. Without further ado, here's Dan Lanning. And we are now joined by the head coach of the Oregon Ducks, Coach Dan Lanning. Coach, appreciate you making some time. How are we doing today? Doing great. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. I wanted to start with this. You broke Twitter on National Signing Day. I wanted to know, one, the story behind the video with Ice Cube and the cigars. And the second part of that is, are we going to have Ice Cube bump in to start spring practice here pretty soon? We'll play a little music from time to time at uh, practice. You know, we'll get it going, um, especially during team run periods. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, just celebrating a good day. Uh, we like to have a little bit of fun around here. And uh, when you when, when things go well, you want to celebrate it. And things went well last year for y'all in your first year in Eugene, double-digit wins. What's the feel around the building right now headed into year two? You know, last year was last year. We're ready uh, ready to attack this year. You know, each year is uh, individual in its own. It, it's, it's got its own life and, uh, you know, its own lifeblood. And, and the reality is it has nothing to do with next year. And so right now we're focused on what's in front of us, really not what's behind us. And how did Bo Nix let you know that, hey, I'm coming back for one more year in Eugene to build off what he did in 2022? Yeah, we spent a lot of time talking. You know, we had a lot of sit-down meetings. Uh, ultimately, I wanted Bo to make the best decision for Bo. And, uh, and at the end of the day, I think he made the right decision for him himself. And it's going to be obviously beneficial to our team as well. Um, but we got to sit down and, and have a lot of conversations with his family um, as he went through that process. And ultimately, I'm really excited that he's back with us. And a guy who I'm sure is going to contribute to the success in 2023. But what is the feeling around your program this year headed into spring compared to maybe last year when you had just arrived in Eugene? You know, there's a familiarity with each other now. Um, you know, we have some new members or we've had some parts that have changed. Um, that being said, I think everybody understands the expectation and we want to raise the bar, raise it a level. We have high expectations for ourselves, and, you know, to get a new result, it takes a lot of hard work. Uh, it, it takes the ability to do things differently and continue to grow. And that's been kind of our approach this offseason. And what would you say you've learned about your team after having one year as the head coach of the Ducks? 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of things. I don't think you can pinpoint one thing that we've learned. Um, ultimately, you know, that we have high expectations and, and we're not looking to stay the same. So right now I've seen a lot, a lot of growth from uh, a leadership standpoint. And though, even though we're a relatively young team, um, I think we have a group right now that's really anxious to get better. Uh, and they realize the way to do that is, you know, player led. Um, so we, we've, I've seen a lot of leadership show up, especially in the early weeks of offseason training. I'm looking for that to continue to grow and, and develop as the season goes on. And you obviously attired, uh, acquired a ton of talent in the 2023 cycle, have a top 10 class. What is the, the national brand of Oregon? And how do you utilize that to go places outside of the West Coast to Texas and those Southeast states? Yeah, ultimately, I think uh, Oregon's a brand that, that is a national brand. We can go anywhere in the world and go get the best players. And, and that's our job as coaches is to go find the best talent. Uh, that can make our team better. And this is a place where people want to play, a place where, you know, uh, players want to come and compete. You know, they have a familiarity with uh, Oregon. This is one of those schools that a lot of kids grow up saying, hey, this is my dream school. This is where I want to play. I've always uh, envisioned being in a place like this. And uh, that allows us to go anywhere. It really allows us to go anywhere and find the right guys uh, that want to be a part of something great and, and be a part of our team going forward. And a lot of those right guys that y'all picked up in the 2023 cycle were either on the offensive or defensive line. I think 30, or excuse me, of the 30 guys that you acquired, 13 were on the line of scrimmage. Is there a mentality behind that for y'all going so heavy in the trenches? I think there's no secret that uh, in big games, those games are won up front. And we have to be, uh, we have to have a mentality up front to be able to, to play the brand of football that we want to play. And uh, you want to get as much talent as you can, you know, in, in, in the trenches to allow you to play that brand of football. And a lot of that, it seems like transitioning from year one to year two, obviously different feelings, but with different feelings, you said at different expectations in 2023. What are you expecting from your football team when it comes to taking the field in the fall? Yeah, ultimately, we just want to be the absolute best version of us we can be, right? I, I don't really set a standard or a timeline or, or even a, a win total for us. Ultimately, the best that we can perform, that's what, what, what we want to do. And we want to get the best performance out of our players. I think we have a lot of talented players, talented coaches on our staff. Uh, we want to see those guys perform at a high level and whatever, the, whatever our best is, that's my expectation. And obviously with you having been at Georgia not too long ago, was there anything that you took specifically from the job at Georgia to what you wanted to implement a part of your program in Eugene? I wouldn't pick one thing. There's a million things. I mean, the one thing that I'll say is we're going to recruit hard to have the best talent. When you have the best talent, you have a chance to win the most games. And I think that's what you see right now at Georgia. They've done a great job of acquiring talent and coaching that talent. You know, it's one thing to get talent. Now you got to go coach it. Um, we're going to we're going to fight to have the best talent here in Eugene. Uh, and now we got to go coach it and develop it. Coach, there's a lot of noise going on right now. Everyone wants to talk about realignment in this conference, this TV deal, and just stuff that has nothing to do with football. What's the communication like for you to your locker room with all this outside noise going on? We don't worry about outside noise. We don't spend a lot of time paying attention to it. We worry about what we can control, and that's the work that we do uh, behind closed doors right now in this building. Absolutely. And, Coach, last question before we get you out of here. We appreciate all your time. You have a phenomenal story about a really long drive you took to get your first job in coaching. You mind sharing that with us? It's a long story. I don't know how, how long you want me to go, but <laughs> I'll just say this. In, in life right now, um, 
really across the board, whether it's it's players, coaches, um, really anyone. I feel like everybody wants the baby, but nobody wants the labor pains. And to get in the position you're in, it's it's a labor of love. But you know, ultimately for me, I didn't really know anybody in college football, and I wanted an opportunity. And um, whenever I saw a sliver of hope that there was an opportunity, I made sure that I didn't live the rest of my life with regret, wondering if I could make it happen. And um, you know, uh, like I said, long story short is I got a phone call that there might be an opportunity. I didn't get a return phone call. So I drove to Pittsburgh to make that opportunity happen. And, uh, that was the beginning. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for Todd Graham giving me a chance to join that staff there at Pittsburgh, um, was able to transition into a lot of stops after that, you know, as a GA there, was a GA at Arizona state, um, got to become a position coach at Sam Houston state and then turn around and GA again in Alabama. You know, I always tell everyone that's where I felt like I got my doctorate in coaching. Like, you want to go learn. And I wasn't ready to be a full-time position coach yet. I had to go watch guys like Kirby Smart and Mel Tucker and uh, Nick Saban and see some of those other guys do it. And, uh, you know, sitting on the sidelines, kind of sitting in the outfield. And a lot of my early stops in my coaching career was really beneficial to me to get to watch, uh, you know, great coaches do it the right way. And then was fortunate enough to work really hard in those those situations to where those led to other opportunities down the road, really being where your feet are, working really hard in the job you're at. And then a guy like Mike Norvell says, hey, I'm gonna give this guy a shot as a position coach. And then Kirby Smart turned around and say, I wanna hire this guy back in my staff at Georgia. So, you know, I've been fortunate to be in a lot of good places. The transition early in my career was really beneficial to me to meet a lot of people, um, see a lot of different ways that, you know, that things can be done. And then I've tried to carry you know, those moments over in my career as, I'm, as I've advanced, you know, take something I've learned at every stop and apply it to where I'm at. Well, Coach, we have a new sign now for our studio. Everybody wants the baby, but nobody wants the labor pains. Again, appreciate you making time for us and fired up to watch y'all get after it in Autzen in the fall. Thanks, J.D. Appreciate how about Coach bringing the juice, man? Again, appreciate Coach Lanning jumping on the program, spending some time with us. Now, we actually have a funny story. We were going to get Coach Lanning on earlier in the week. Internet went out. Like, we had it all set up five minutes before, ready to go. Internet just goes out. I believe it was, like, across the city of Brentwood. Bad deal, but appreciate Coach being flexible with us and making it happen. How about that, too? Everybody wants the baby. Nobody wants the labor pains. Going to get that tattooed somewhere on my back at some point in time. Switching gears here a little bit. Like I said, spring football is upon us. Now, with spring football comes some new faces. It's the start of a new year for everybody across the board. You have upperclassmen that have either left the program or have gone to the NFL draft or whatever it ends up being. And so with that, you get some freshmen, some guys that have already finished up their coursework and want to get on campus early and get after it. And there is a lot of five-star caliber kind of players that are going to be in spring camps here as we get revved up. So I got a couple of names here that you need to make sure you know about. They're already enrolled. They're going to be in spring practice, and they're going to start turning some heads. Whether it's from like social clips, you just get to see them during one-on-ones, or you get to see them during the spring games absolutely pop off. These guys are going to make some noise in spring and then make some noise in the fall. First guy we got to talk about. P.J. Adebaware. He's an edge defender at Oklahoma, a five-star caliber player. Now, on three was higher than him, or excuse me, higher on him than the rest of the industry. We have him as a top five player. So Charles Power, director of scouting and rankings, I think nailed this one. Six foot four, 227 pounds. It's important that he's already on campus and already in a college conditioning and strength program 
because he's got a frame that is twitchy and long but can add some more mass and when he does that oh my gosh he's going to be an absolute problem and oklahoma needs some help on the defensive line gave up right around 187 yards a game last year on the ground to the sooners that's not brennan buttmittles that's, that's not his kind of football that he likes to play that's not the kind of defense brent venables runs pj adabaware was an absolute freak on the all-star circuit the under armor all-american game According to Charles Power, just dominated during practice. I got a chance to watch some of that broadcast, that game. If P.J. Adebayo wanted to play with some kids, he'd have some of his own. That's the kind of attitude he took when he was rushing the passer that week. So P.J. Adebayo, get familiar with that pronunciation because he's going to be making a lot of plays in the spring for Oklahoma, even though the quarterback's going to be non-contact. Fortunate for the quarterback, he's non-contact. When it gets to the fall, he will be making a lot of plays. He is someone I fully expect to be on the field sooner rather than later, no pun intended. Now make sure you're locked in, make sure you're subscribed because we got intel for you for the duration of spring football. I have a lot of great fan sites that'll keep you in the know as well. Make sure you're subscribed here. Don't want to miss a thing. Also, follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at JD Piquel. Francis Malagoa. Offensive tackle at Miami, already enrolled, six foot five, 327 pounds. Charles Power says he's the most ready-to-play offensive lineman in this 2023 cycle. And this 2023 cycle was pretty deep. You had a lot of dudes in this class that could play. And I'll just say this. When you flip on the tape and watch Francis Magoa, it doesn't take long to figure out that he's going to be a dude. It doesn't take a specific eye to scouting to know that he's going to be great. You just know great when you see it. Charles Power's the best in the business, and again, knocked this out of the park on his evaluation. But even someone else down the road, who, whoever it is, so someone at your local Publix, could show them the huddle tape, and they'd be like, yeah, that dude's probably going to be a really good college football player. And same thing I said about P.J. Adebaware opportunity for Francis Malagoa to play in Miami very early. The offensive line wasn't good. It wasn't good in Coral Gables last year. They averaged right around 112 yards a game rushing. That's good for 106th in the country. They weren't great at protecting the quarterback. Tyler Van Dyke got a lot of heat last year for his caliber of play, but to be fair, he didn't have a ton of time to throw the football. Was sacked 8.5% of the time. That's good for 99th in the country. It's important he's enrolled early because some of the toughest aspects for a freshman is, yes, getting acclimated to college life and figuring out where your classes are and what your new normal is. But for Francis Mauagoa, he's got the physical tools. It's not going to be a matter of can we get him ready to play. It's going to be a matter of learning the system, getting comfortable with the checks, and figuring out where he fits in on the offensive line. Charles Power said Francis Malagoa could be a guy that fits in at a position on the offensive line that isn't tackle. He's versatile. Really violent run blocker with that big frame. He's also got some really good agility. So Francis Malagoa, he's enrolled right now. And when you're listening to the reports on spring practice, when you're getting that spring intel from our Miami on three site, Keep an eye out for his name, because I promise you it will be in the mix. It's going to be a problem for years to come in the ACC. <clears throat> now, another playmaker we got to talk about. John Tay Cook, wide receiver at Texas. He's right around 5'11", 171 pounds, another five-star player for us. But he's got a 6'4 wingspan. Translation, 
There are very few footballs that are outside of his catch radius. You put it up for John Ted Cook, he's going to go make a play for you. All right, he's going to be a guy that goes up and gets it. He was extremely productive at the high school level. His senior year, caught 22 touchdowns. Y'all, there are some running backs at really good high schools with really good offensive lines that didn't have 22 touchdowns. For me, it's all about him getting comfortable with the speed of the game. And that's not to say John Ted Cook isn't fast or quick. He's both of those things. But going up against college defensive backs is a bit of a transition. He's a really good route runner. Once he figures out the college defensive backs as a whole, he's going to be a problem. And you will see a lot of him on the field. Can also help you in the return game. This wide receiver room is deep at Texas. But by nature of how often I believe they're going to throw the football in 2023, you're going to need more than just one guy to be able to rotate in there. So they got Xavier Worthy. They got A.D. Mitchell now. They got Isaiah Nayor getting back healthy. Jontae Cook, I fully believe, will contribute at some point in time for Texas in 2023. And he's a guy that you could end up seeing on those social clips if we end up getting some sort of behind-the-scenes look at Texas practice if we end up seeing some individual drills or some one-on-one drills, he's one of those guys that's going to flash. Okay, You're going to see him and be able to pick him out of a crowd by the way that he moves very smoothly and the way that he runs routes. So Jontae Cook is going to be a problem at the next level. He's already enrolled in Austin. That is a good thing for Quinn Ewers and company because I think he's going to play. Now going from one playmaker to another, Zachariah Branch at USC. He's a wide receiver. He's 5'10", 176. Keep a very close eye on We Are SC, the USC on three site, because they're going to have spring practice notes for you. Zachariah Branch is going to turn heads very early. Okay, we had our top 10 wide receivers drop for us here at on three. The staff put together a list. Quite frankly, I wasn't involved in it. But of that top 10, you had other people within the office saying, this is how we see it shaking out going into the year. But Zachariah Branch, don't be surprised if he ends up being in that bunch when it's all said and done in 2023. Y'all, he's that good. He's going to be a guy that you just have problems keeping off of the field. He can help you in the return game. He can help you in that slot receiver position. And he's a guy that Gus, he's a guy Gus Johnson's just going to absolutely love calling his games. You know why? Because the call's going to sound something like this. Back to receive, Zachariah Branch. Branch takes the 20, 25, 30. Zachariah Branch, he's got a lane. He could go. And it's going to be just an iconic Gus Johnson call. It's going to be absolute poetry in motion. You're going to want to make sure you're locked in whenever Fox has a USC game. I think it's really important he's enrolled right now because he's so jittery and able to separate so well. And Caleb Williams, we know what he loves to do, loves to ad lib. Loves to make plays on the run outside of the pocket. And you have to be synced up with your quarterback whenever he breaks contain. All right. So for him to be able to kind of have that sixth sense and share that sense with Caleb Williams when he gets out in the open, that's going to really help their chemistry and translate to more big time calls from Gus Johnson when they get rolling in the fall. So Zachariah Branch, again, I 1000% believe will make a whole lot of noise here in the near future. Now, one more player I want to talk about with us. If you're an Alabama Crimson Tide fan, you already know all about this guy. Caleb Downs, five-star safety, went through bowl practice. Listen, he's a bad, bad man. Caleb Downs is an absolute dude. The word that comes to mind when you talk about Caleb Downs is instincts. Charles Power said he's one of the most natural safeties in this cycle. 
and Caleb Downs, for him, it's not a matter of the physical ability. Like, he's got all the physical traits. He's got all the instincts. And to make him even more dangerous, why it's so crucial he's there in the spring, he is going to be a sponge. He is going to soak up all the information. He is going to get in the playbook. He's going to fall asleep in the film room. He's going to be a guy that commits himself to the process of learning this defense. Now, when he has the defense underneath him, when he has it all sorted out, he's going to be special because of what I said, those instincts. Charles Powers NFL comp for Caleb Downs. Guess who it is? Eric Berry. Right? They don't just hand out Eric Berry comps at the high school level, and that's who we compare Caleb Downs to. So he's a guy that I think will play early. They need someone at free safety. I think Caleb Downs will be a guy that will fill that need. I'm telling you, the fact that he's there early, already learning the playbook, it's going to make for really good things come the fall. But he's going to make plays in the spring game, going to make plays during practice. Again, going back to our Alabama on three site, you're going to want to need to check those notes. Okay, so make sure you're locked in with Caleb Downs throughout the spring. So you got P.J. Adebawara, you got Francis Malagoa, John Tay Cook at Texas, Zachariah Branch at USC, and Caleb Downs at Alabama. All of them already on campus, all of them five stars, all of them will make noise during spring practice. I can absolutely promise you that. And spring practice, in some ways it's a grind, in a lot of ways it's a grind because you're just beating the heck out of each other and you're going good on good and you're going a lot of live periods and it's a lot of 11 on 11. But spring practice is welcomed with open arms once you get past winter conditioning. So we got to talk about that here in just a quick second. Everyone tuned in right now. If we get 15 more likes, I'll tell you who we got next for our guest on the hard count. Power 5 head coach. Sat down with him this week. Excited to tell you all about it, but like the video. We'll let you all know who we got cooked up for you. Now, as I was saying, winter conditioning is when you find out if you really like college football. Because you get recruited and you have coaches tell you what you're good at and tell you how they see you fitting in your system and what you're going to be when you get to be a junior and senior on campus. Maybe you have a photo shoot. Maybe you have a lot of juice around your recruitment. But none of those things matter when you're waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning, maybe earlier, depending on what time your strength coach wants to go, during winter conditioning. Winter conditioning will weed out more people at the college football level of if they want to stay on the team or not than any other part of the game. Okay? So what happens during winter conditioning? We talk about spring practice, we talk about the games, but we don't really pay a whole lot of attention to winter conditioning. Now, me having been through it, I want to peel back the curtain a little bit and just sort of walk through this together. Because winter conditioning is no joke. The first thing that it is, it's a head game, man. And I say that in the most positive way possible. You lay the foundation for what you're going to be when the bullets start flying during practice and during games. Because, like I said, it's early, it's high intensity, you have a lot of high competition level atmospheres, you have coaches probably this far from your face just screaming at you, words of encouragement, or maybe it's words of challenging, trying to pull the best out of you, but you hear what I'm saying. Winter conditioning is trying to build you up mentally. How do you respond to some adversity when things are uncomfortable? Because there is nothing more uncomfortable when you are doing tug of war against another grown man at 5.30 a.m. with a bunch of other peers of yours watching you. Okay, that is building mental toughness. Also, 
you build yourself as a team. More thoughts on that. But if you have not yet subscribed, we'd love to have you all a part of this. Make sure you're locked in. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter. Football's back, y'all. Football is back. We're not taking any breaks. I know y'all aren't either. We appreciate y'all in advance. So thank you for that. As I was saying, this is the first thing you do as a team for the next season. Because if you just played and you were a senior, you're going to the NFL draft, you're not going through winter conditioning. You're not having to wake up anymore. You've paid your dues. You're done with that. And it's a glorious thing when you're done with that. Don't get it twisted. But it's the start of a new year. It's the first thing you do as a new team. And for freshmen, this is in, in the most loving way possible. You may not know some of those freshmen because here's what happens. They enroll, a lot of them, in the fall if they have it in the spring. And if they enrolled in the fall, they may go through the first couple of practices and you go through individual drills and they're in meetings. But for the most part, guess what they're doing? Scout team. So if you're the third string quarterback and I'm the starting quarterback, we may not have a lot of back and forth because I don't see you for the majority of practice because you're giving our one defense a look. So team building happens during winter conditioning. We sort of get reintroduced. You probably have a different role as a freshman than you did earlier in the year. Now you're viewed as a sophomore. Everyone's viewed as the grade they're going to be, which is kind of a head game in itself, but that's really an interesting facet of this all. Who's going to step up and be a leader? Who's going to fill that leadership void that was left from some, of the other, from some of the upperclassmen. And a lot of teams do this the same way. You will get split into different groups that have nothing to do with your position, have nothing to do with your class. In fact, it's probably as different from you as possible in terms of position and class. And you'll be put into a team that will have different point totals that are assigned to you based on things you do during the week. So you may get points for winning a competitive drill during conditioning. You may get points given to your team if they see you carrying your jug of water or they see you doing well in class or, or arriving on, at a class on time, things like that. So a lot of it is trying to tear you down mentally to build you back up and reintroduce what this team is going to be from a chemistry standpoint. Because if I'm a freshman quarterback, I may not see that senior offensive lineman quite as much. Because again, I was on scout team. Or if I'm a, a junior fullback, I may not have a great experience or may not know very much the freshman safety. So being able to get everybody in the same room and work towards the goal of getting the most points and winning something, it's a good deal. Now, this is the part that probably gets glamorized the most, the physical part of it, right? The edge, the physical edge. And I'll just say this, you prepare your body a lot during the winter, yes, but you prepare it to go to war in the spring. Like very little of what you do during December and during, I guess, February rather is a better way to describe it, will be translated to the fall. I don't want to say all of it. There's a lot of it that will translate, but I, I, don't, I don't want to talk about winter conditioning as if you're just preparing for the fall because you have summer one, you have summer two, so two different semesters during the summer that are really trying to fine-tune the car and get you ready. What you're doing in, in February in winter conditioning, you're trying to lay the groundwork and sort of set the table, set the base to build then towards real strength and real output and real explosiveness into the summer. You're trying to get ready for spring because like I said, spring is a war. 15-ish practices, well, 15 practices depending on what level of football you're at, and you get after each other. 
you get after each other. Why? Because we're not worried about having you ready for game one. Game one's in several months. We want to get good work right now. We want to develop right now and have a physical edge. Matt Rule said it about his Nebraska football team. I want us to be a physical team that starts in the spring. We want to have an edge that starts in the winter. Okay? So they build it up during the winter to translate that physicality during the spring. It's all about paying dues, I'm telling you. It puts a really nice fence around your team. Because when you go through what winter conditioning is and you run the gauntlet of those 5 a.m. workouts, the people next to you are the ones that you care about. The people that go through that with you, there's a different bond now than maybe there was before. So winter conditioning, like I said, is the best and worst part of the college football calendar if you're a player, but it is vitally important to what happens in the spring and vitally important to building a base for the fall, both mentally and physically. So that's kind of what happens around, win around winter conditioning. I wanted us to talk about that because it doesn't get talked about nearly enough. You're not throwing the football around. You're not putting up highlights. You're not putting up stats. But it's very important to what you end up being as a team. Appreciate everyone tuned in live. Again, like the video, and we'll let you know what we got cooked up for you. Power 5 head coach, we had him on. We'll get a few more likes. We'll tell you who it is. All right? So keep those rolling. And we get to 50 likes, I'll tell you who we got. So that's 10 more, Nick. Bringing on the keeper of the queue, pride of Owensboro, Kentucky, a Bills Mafia member, heavy lifter Nick Brake. Nick, what's going on, my guy? What's up, J.D.? Hey, man, uh, before we get to the, the rule change tweets, we had a person earlier in the chat asking, um, on three, are you watching these comments? It was Shane Kina. If so, is it likely that the Big Ten reaches out west uh, to do an end around the, the SEC? So basically to try to, you know, take over as the, pow the power conference, do they use the west like they already have with UCLA and USCGD? I think the best way I could describe that is it wouldn't surprise me. Like with conference realignment right now and conference expansion going towards that super conference model, nothing is off the table. Nothing is off the table because you have schools that are trying to maximize revenue and you have a lot of people within these different conferences that have deep pockets. The Big Ten currently with the deepest pockets and they've shown they don't care about geography and good for them because they're on the cutting edge of that. They don't, they don't care about how the map is situated. They went and got USC and UCLA from California. I would not put it past them to reach other places across the country. So it's not a very firm answer. It's not a yes or a no thing for me. I just think everything is fair game right now for both the Big Ten and the SEC and the other conferences that are trying to keep the plate spinning. That's a great question, though. So to answer, yeah. to answer Shane's question, we do, in fact, look at the comment section. We do, in fact, look at the live Absolutely. chat and one of the best parts of this whole operation. So appreciate it, Shane. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so now we're going into the tweet you asked many, you know, a couple weeks ago, you know, what do, what do we want to change with college football, if anything? Um, We've had good answers from start to finish in the last couple of weeks. They've been uh, hot, man. On a hot been streak. Hot. And, and this one's pretty good. We've got two good ones today. At Real LeBron 89. It's not the Real LeBron, though. It's because it's Chris LeBron, <laughs> according to his profile. Uh, two feet down, and you need to be touched to be down. To need, and they need that to happen in college football. So you, you know, I know, J.D., that you don't want it to become the NFL uh, but these are two NFL rules that Chris LeBron is wanting to be in college football. Yeah, so we haven't confirmed that it's not somehow related to LeBron. It could be, <laughs> it could be LeBron's 
cousin that somehow shares a last name with his first name. That's how they're doing it these days, Nick. So I don't know. This is where I'm probably going to expose myself a little bit here, Nick, as like a college football purist. This is one of those differences within the professional and the college game that doesn't make a huge difference on gameplay. Like, obviously, within different plays, it would have an impact. It doesn't make a huge difference, though, on the outcome of a game more often than not. And I wouldn't be overly upset if we changed this. But this is one of those things where I'm just like, hey, don't change that. And someone says, why? And I said, because, because I don't like it. I like the way it is right now. It's like if you were to, like, have you ever seen Four Christmases, Nick? Where of course, I've seen You've seen that? every movie ever made. Yeah. Okay, so, so the scene where they buy the grandfather a new television, and his old television has rabbit ears. It looks just like it was from the 1940s. Like, it's old as all get out. And they bought him this nice new plasma screen TV with, like, a satellite dish and everything. He goes, my rabbit ears work fine. I like my TV how it is. And that's kind of how I feel about this rule, Nick. Like, I can't give you a great explanation as to why, but there are certain things about this game that have been baked in for years at a time to where we've always done it this way. I'd like to keep doing it this way. So that's where I fall. I don't think that we agree on this one, though, We Nick. don't, I and hear, I don't I know why you'd want this. to ever... You're siding with Robert Duvall from Four Christmases. He's definitely not supposed to be the character you agree on with in this, in this <laughs> scene. But um, I see your, your point. I see what you're saying. Um, I do think that you need to be down by contact in college football. I know the injury situation about it, but you look at the Michigan game last year. Yeah. How did he not score that? That's a great point. That's a great point. We have a lot of people probably in Ann Arbor, Michigan right now, whether they're driving, listening to podcasts, whether they're watching us live, probably just shouting at their devices saying, if we change this rule, maybe, just maybe, that outcome is different, and maybe, just maybe, we get to dance with Georgia in the national title game. Absolutely. So but I'll agree with you on fair. the two feet, that's though, fair. I, You know, why change that? Because that's always been a, a core difference in college and the NFL. But the, the last one, it is the way it is in the NFL because it is the right way to be. <laughs> Just saying. I love it. I love Just it. Um, this next question com- comes from L. Boston. Uh, insert a chip to the football so you can spot the ball better. I think this is a really cool idea, J.D. I think we're locked in here, Nick. I think you and I are on the exact same page. How is it that in 2023, we have artificial intelligence, we've put people on places that are not Earth, we've put them on the moon, but we can't figure out how to adequately spot the football with technology. Just take all the guessing game out of it. I don't know why this hasn't happened yet. I believe it will eventually happen. I'm all for this, Nick. I think this should 1,000% be something that gets implemented here in the not-too-distant future. Listen, I don't know how it happens. All right, I don't. I was an engineer. I went to hotel administration school. I don't know how we would do this, but I do know this. There are people that are a lot smarter than me. We'll put Elon Musk on it. He can figure out how to put a chip in the football to spot it accordingly. That's my that's my 1,000% uh take on that nick what how about you how is elon musk your go-to smart person jd how is he not your go-to smart person no. who's your go-to smart person um anyone but elon musk uh but i digress what? i digress look i think there's got to be a technological problem here um i because this just feels too good to be true like this i feel like this has to have happened by now if it hasn't there's got to be a problem um jd uh but goal line technology in soccer has worked VAR's worked. I don't know how they can do that with spotting the ball. 
I, I just I don't. I'm still hung up on the you wouldn't want to tag in Elon Musk. To tackle I think we this. can talk about that one off the air, JD. All right, I'll take your word for it. Nick, appreciate you, brother. We'll see you <laughs> on Tuesday. Absolutely, man. I'll see you on Tuesday. Well, I'll see you in the office, too. But yeah, I guess I'll see you after see you we finish up here. Beautiful, man. Nick Brake. They don't make them like him anymore. It's too bad for the rest of the country because we need more Nick Brakes around here. Appreciate y'all rocking with us. Appreciate y'all tuned in right now. If you haven't yet subscribed to our podcast feed, we'd love to have y'all part of that operation. I understand that when we're live, we have the live chat going. It's a blast. We want you all part of that. But if you can catch it afterwards on podcast, we also appreciate y'all. We also appreciate y'all that are working right now and that are making dinner or watching the kids, whatever you got to do. Glad that you have the hard count on and glad that you're rocking with us that way. So we're going to be back on the air on Tuesday. Y'all, we came just a few likes short. I wanted to tell y'all I really did. I really did because we have a great guest lined up for Tuesday. But keep an eye on my socials at JD Pakel on Twitter and on Instagram. The truth will eventually come out there. We have locked and loaded, but it'll be a great show. You don't want to miss it. Live on the air Tuesday, 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern. We'll have a good time. We appreciate y'all. As always, we love y'all. We're going to keep the party rolling, and we will see y'all next time.